Friends, we have a message today. I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 6 today. The Gospel of Luke chapter 6. This is a message that's been delayed for a couple weeks. One, because of uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving and that was our theme for Thanksgiving Sunday. And last week our theme was, of course, uh, celebrating the faith of the people who went through the waters of baptism. Uh, we, had, uh, we had young, like Isaiah and Gabe, and we had adults, and it was just a wonderful time. Uh, just to report, I uh, had an opportunity on Friday, one of the uh, families who is familiar with our church through uh, the online ministry that our men have put together, the YouTube channel, uh, they wanted to be part of that baptismal service here, but weren't able to come up, especially with the large group of people who wanted to be part of that baptismal service. So Friday, Faye and I made a quick trip, three and a half hours down to the Tabor area south of Grassy Lake and in a swimming pool, baptized a young man that I knew him first 20 years ago as the captain of the Medicine Hat Tigers, uh, as we were able to plant the seeds of the gospel in those young hearts. 20 years later, the seeds have uh, borne wonderful fruit, and he's part of a wonderful Christian family. And so we had a great gathering of those, both believers and those who haven't yet embraced the faith, were able to witness that baptism down there, and then made the trip, quick trip home that evening. And it was a long day, but it was a good day. It's just been a wonderful week of ministry uh, and seeing the uh, ministry of our, our church family and the lives it touches. But now we get to get back to the hard one, the last of those messages on the commandments of Jesus that we started a number of weeks back, just a brief series looking at those things, beginning with the Lord's Supper, where Jesus said to do this as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then we talked about his command to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit as part of our disciple making enterprise we looked at those things and and the our theme for this has come from john chapter 15 john chapter 15 a verse which if taken out of context seems odd to us because as we read that passage jesus says you are my friends if you do what i command if anybody told you that you're my friend if you do what i tell you you would think they're crazy and you wouldn't want to be a friend with a person like that but that's because out of context, it seems odd. The full context of our theme verse, though, begins in John 15, when the command that Jesus is referring to is mentioned explicitly. Jesus tells his disciples, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one that he lays down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. And so this isn't to tell you to do what Jesus says to be his friends. This is a description of those who are already his friends. And his command is to emulate his love. And so we look for three parts. The first is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's Jesus' command. That's what he desires for you. Your heart wholly given to God in love. And the other is like the first. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment and the second one that is so close to it. The Bible says all the 
laws of the Old Testament. All the laws and prophets are fulfilled if you love your neighbor as yourself. If your heart is right in your actions towards somebody, your actions will be right. It will follow your heart. But the third of those love commands I mentioned all those weeks ago is the more difficult one. That's why I've called today's message in the Do This series, The Difficult Commandment. The third part of our love command. To love God with all our hearts, love our neighbors as ourselves. And of course, this one, the hard one. Love your enemies. I love that picture. If you look at that graphic, I, 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 I spend far too much time looking for pictures that fit the PowerPoint than I should. And that one jumped out at me. There is the man with the quiver on his back and the bow in his hand. He is the arrow shooter. And who is loving him? The guy with all the arrows in his back. He's giving better than he received. And that's really the whole point of the matter in loving our enemies. We don't give what we get, we give better. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Scholars, theologians, historians have all made the same point. This commandment of Jesus, more than any other, sets Christianity far apart from all the other world religions. Any religion you name, Hindu, Islam, any of them, have nothing like the commandment of Jesus to his followers to love your enemies. For that to be the hallmark of who we are. People identify us by our love. Our love for God. Our love for one another. Our love for our neighbors. And most starkly seen in our love for enemies. I've asked you to turn to Luke chapter 6 because this profound cornerstone teaching is taught in two primary areas. The Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. We see the Love Your Enemies passage in Matthew chapter 5. The parallel account in the Gospel of Luke is in Luke chapter 6. Some people claim that these are two similar teaching times and it might be. Matthew says Jesus went to the mountaintop and preached this. Luke chapter 6 says Jesus praying all night on a high mountain came down, appointed the 12 disciples, found a level place and preached it. So they call this the, the Sermon on the Plain and the other one the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the word for this, the level place as translated in IV, is not the plain. It could be the level spot on the top of a hill that Jesus preached. It could very well be the exact same thing in parallel accounts. The wording is a little bit different. And in some ways, Luke brings out uh, some important things that uh, we don't see in Matthew. And that's why I'm looking at the Luke account primarily today. So in your Bible, Luke chapter 6, love your enemies. Jesus begins by saying in verse 27 of Luke 6, but I tell you who hear me, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus said the same thing four times. In Hebrew thought, their poetry, for instance, does not rhyme in its sound. Hebrew poetry rhymes in thought. 
It's called parallelism. You say something and then you say it again in different words. Or you can make a point by saying something and then saying the exact opposite of it. That's antithetical parallelism. There's your lesson in Hebrew poetry for the day. But parallelism, Jesus uses it here. He says the same thing, the same unnatural, even offensive teaching four times. He often repeated himself for emphasis. He would say in Greek, amen, amen, which has been translated in the King James, verily, verily, or in uh, many, uh, many uh, passages, uh, new, new translations like the NIV, truly, truly. He would do that for emphasis twice. This is so important. You have it four times. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Who are we talking about? Our enemies who hate us, who curse us, who mistreat us. <laughs> Don't sound like people I want to be around. Much less love, do good, bless, and pray for them. It seems so unnatural. One doesn't naturally follow from another. And that's true. But I'm talking about human nature. Sinful, fallen human nature. Jesus is talking about something that is completely natural for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That is an amazing, gracious, merciful God. And Jesus is saying that he expects his followers to love in the same way. To love not only those who love us, not only those who are close to us, our brethren, but also our opponents, those who mock us, those who tear us down, those who actively conspire against us, our enemies. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know about this. I don't have any enemies. You ask some people, do you have any enemies? And they say, no. And that's wonderful if somebody is such a good neighbor and well thought of in the community. But Jesus says, if you're living the life of Christ, if you're sharing the good news of the gospel, you're going to have enemies. And he says they should be his enemies, not ours. That they should be not opposed to us personally, but the very gospel, the message of the cross gives offense to them. Who are these enemies? Jesus makes that promise that we will have people against us, that we will have every opportunity to exercise this commandment to love our enemies. In John chapter 15, a familiar passage, he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said, if they're against him, they're going to be against us as his ambassadors as his representatives. But if you're living one of those 
stealth Christian lives where nobody at work, nobody knows that you're a believer, that what you do on Sunday, they think you're home drinking beer and watching football games, but secretly you're sneaking out to church, you know, and they don't know about that. How embarrassing that would be if they did know. Well, if you're living that kind of life, you're not going to run into a whole lot of opposition. You're not going to have the enemies that Jesus is talking about. Nobody will take offense at the cross. And friends, I want to reiterate that. The offense should be the gospel, not us. It should be the offense of the cross, not offensive Christians. All too often, people are offended by us because we're judgmental and legalistic and dismissive. That they feel put down and rejected because of us. That we put on airs. We think they're better than them. Holier than thou is a phrase that's coined. But that's not the picture I see in Scripture at all. Those who have been saved by grace need to be the ones offering grace. Galatians chapter 11, or chapter 5 rather, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that has been racked by false teaching. Judaizers, men who came in and said that Christianity is just a group in Judaism. And to be a Christian, you Gentiles need to be also become Jews. The men need to be circumcised. So this teaching, Paul refers to them as the circumcision group. And he says, no, that's opposed. That's opposed to the, the gospel. The gospel says that you cannot earn God's salvation through your religious works. That it's by grace received through faith. It's a free gift. Paul calls this teaching of the gospel offensive. The offense of the cross. In writing to the Galatian church, he says in verse 11 of chapter 5, Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, because some say, well, he was a Pharisee. He's like those guys. If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And he mentions that phrase again later. This is the book that phrase comes from, the offense of the cross. And I ask you today, friends, what is the offense of the cross? Well, it, the cross is good news. But before you can hear the good news, you have to receive the bad news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the Righteousness of man is like filthy rags in God's eyes. That strikes to our pride. That goes after our heart and our self-image. I don't know how many times I've seen people offended by that thought that they need a Savior. Well, what am I being saved from? Sin? I'm no sinner. Are you kidding me? And they begin to compare themselves to their fellow sinners, people around them. I'm better than him, them, and I'm better than you. No argument there, I say. But the Bible says the offensive word is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Do you see how the pride of man gets wounded? It's our wounded pride that flares up and people are offended at you. They're offended at Jesus through you. And so when that happens, when the offense of the cross occurs, people are offended and see themselves as our opponents, our enemies, 
trying to win an argument with us, whatever it be, our response has to be different than the world's. I call it, in fact, an unnatural response. Those of you who are old enough remember just over 30 years ago that brief flare-up of hope that the oppressive, dehumanizing, demonic regime that controls the Republic of China was going to fall. The people hungering for freedom and self-determination rose up and in mass they filled Tiananmen Square. And the Chinese troops were sent in. And that lone individual standing in front of the tank. That image galvanized the world. It was a crazy response. You think tanks come, you have to respond with tanks. Well, sadly, we know how that turned out. Evil one. The bodies were crushed beneath the treads of those tanks. And they're in a worse situation today than perhaps they've ever been in the past. How should we respond to the power, the attacks of the enemies? The natural way of the world is revenge. Give as good as you get or as bad as you get. Think of that whole genre of Hollywood movies. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you I've never seen them because it is a popular genre. And it gets your blood pumping. Revenge movies. Payback. Actually, that's the name of a movie. Payback. Taken. Oh, man. Taken. Human traffickers steal a man's daughter. And the man has a certain skill set. He was a former operative. And so for the rest of the movie, he kills everyone. He goes through and kills everyone. They get what they deserved. And we feel the popularity of those revenge fantasies are because somehow justice has been served. Though friends, this side of the throne of God, human justice is imperfect at best. Those are just that. They're a fantasy. But that's the natural human response. You hit me, I hit you. You want to see how natural it is? Watch toddlers. You don't have to teach them to get payback. Oh my word. We have, even in the animal kingdom, you think, well, animals are better than people. Maybe dogs, but not cats. <laughs> I remember once we had a cat. It was sitting in the one spot of sunshine in the living room. Big Siamese laying on the pillow. That pillow was, I wanted to lay my head and read my book. So I picked the cat up, relocated it, and I laid down. Not right away. The cat bided its time because we all know revenge is a dish best served cold. The cat let me get comfortable, let me get relaxed. And it was almost 10 minutes later, what I felt unprovoked, but that cat remembered. Suddenly, over the arm of the couch, two paws full of claws reached over, grabbed me just above my eyebrows and raked back over my whole forehead. And then the cat was gone. It just planned a sneak attack, attack, got revenge, gone. I had to admit it was well planned and well executed. <laughs> That's the natural response. We all understand that. But now Jesus tells you not only this crazy thing about loving your enemies, but how not to strike back, 
how not to get human payback. Luke chapter 6, we pick it up again in verse 29. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now we read that and it's startling. It seems like a recipe for abuse. And sadly, in my ministry, I've seen people point to this as a reason for staying in abusive relationships. But Jesus is making a strong point here. He's saying you can't give as good as you get. You can't do tit for tat. You can't keep the cycle of violence and hatred going. You need to take away the oxygen and starve that hatred. He says you don't give it back. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see people standing up for themselves. We see people defending themselves. We're told that one of the aspects of love is it protects. And to be in an abusive relationship, you are disobeying God's command to love yourself as He loves you. You have to take care of yourself, protect yourself. This isn't saying that, though. This is making that strong point in strong language that the cycle has to be broken. You can't give it back and forth. It's not the Hatfield and McCoys. In the world stage, you think of the the Protestants and Catholics in Ireland. You think of uh, Israelis and Arabs. The cycles of attack and revenge and defense is seen as an offense and it goes on and on and on and on and on. You have to break the cycle. Jesus says, it's not yours for revenge. It's not yours for payback because you can never bring justice and righteousness in your own way. You too are a sinner. As James reminds us in James chapter 1 beginning in verse 19, it's natural to be angry and attack when you're attacked. But James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <laughs> better, better advice you never hear. Better advice. How quick we answer back with a harsh word. Verse 20, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger won't achieve God's righteousness. The cycle must be broken, Jesus says. Because when we are angry and we strike back, why are we angry? Because once again, my pride has been wounded. Oh, I love quotes and I could put so many quotes up that it would drag out. I remember Benjamin Franklin once said, Give thanks for your enemies. They are gifted at pointing out your faults. He says, if you want to really improve, thank your enemies because they'll point your faults out for you. That's some truth. You can't have pride involved in that though. And be assured that you're not being a patsy to the whole world. God has His eyes on you. Anything said and done to you, God takes into account. He knows. And you're precious to Him as, your children, as His children. Romans 12 verse 17 reminds us of that. Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. The cycle can't go on. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You can't play God. You don't know the whole situation. I've often heard it said that when we're in conflict, there's my side, there's your side, and somewhere altogether different, there's the truth. We see things only from our own perspective. We can't lash out. We need to trust God to bring true justice one day. So often, we want to be vindicated. I'll tell you, it's, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but I can't even read certain letter sections to the editor because there's so much self-vindication. I know editors of newspapers, they encourage it. They do it for entertainment purposes. But they get people in conflict writing back and forth, back and forth, trying to vindicate themselves and win an argument. I can't do that. I've been attacked in ministry and received good advice. Don't defend yourself. Leave that to God. But, 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 you say, I want to vindicate myself. I want to tell the truth. Leave it to God. Trust God. That's difficult, friends. It's difficult. Finally, as you have received, as we have received, we are called to give. <laughs> we talked about give as good as you get in a revenge way. But we want to give what we get in the way of mercy and forgiveness. Jesus continues in Luke chapter 6. This hard teaching that just must have had people scratching or even shaking their heads at the outlandish ideas he was teaching. Continuing in verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those that, from whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus names names. He talks about the pagans and the tax collectors and all of these notorious sinners that people look down on. Jesus said, you loving your friends and brethren and, and co-religionists, he says, you're no different than the sinners. It's easy to love those who love you. My followers are going to be like my father and love their very enemies. A greater love. A greater love. Don't set the bar low. God hasn't for His children. We sometimes compare ourselves wrongfully to those around us. Well, we're no worse. In fact, we might be a little better. Friends, the world needs better from us when it comes to this. As we have received forgiveness, mercy, salvation, we need to model and offer it. To give it. Receive that we can give. Jesus says love. A couple weeks ago we defined biblical love. It's not just the warm affective side, the feelings of love. You can't command that any more than you command 
an actual sneeze out of somebody at the drop of a hat. You just can't do it. What you can do is make the decision, the biblical version of love, which is to decide as an act of my will to put someone's well-being ahead of myself. To make their well-being my priority. To act in a loving way toward them. To have a loving attitude toward them. And that love we need is not natural. It needs to come from God. In fact, Scripture promises that as a child of God, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as you are filled with the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Galatians 5. For the fruit of the Spirit, number one is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Stop at the first. You need love. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. <laughs> you don't need to depend on your own love. It'll run out far too quickly. Pray that God would fill you with His Spirit and give you His view of your enemy. See them with the compassion that He has for them. It always helps me to understand that if somebody sets themselves up as an opposition to me and I'm irked by something, that that person was so loved by God that Jesus came for him. That Jesus went to the cross for him and his sin. <laughs> he loved him that much. How can we do less? As we have received, we must give. And if we are filled with God's love, it shows. A wonderful passage in Colossians chapter 3, we often think of it only in the context of the church family. But Jesus says, don't stop there. Even sinners love those who love them. Take the love God gives you and share it with a hurting world who might not appreciate it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Boy, I want to be around people like that. And what do they do? Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Godly people are loving, gracious, and forgiving. These are the people that God wants to represent Him in this lost and hurting world. Again, it's not appreciated. It's not even wanted. But oh, it's needed. The world needs God's love. They need it through us. And finally, we finish with amazing grace. Amazing grace is ours to give. We sing that hymn and we celebrate the fact that we have received amazing grace. We need to continue the hymn that it's ours to give. We're here to give that same amazing grace to those around us. Those who are open to it. Those who are offended by us. Those who think we're our very existence is an affront to them. That we reject their their worldview, whether it be based on science or another religion, they will dislike us because of Jesus for many reasons. And all we're here to give to them is amazing grace. 
Luke chapter 6, Jesus reiterates his previous passage. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. We continue. Jesus says, But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. (laughs) That's the point of the whole thing. Be like Jesus. Be like our Heavenly Father. Godly people are like God. As God forgives the ungrateful and wicked, in fact, He sent His Son and gave Jesus to the cross for them, how can we do any less than to love them and minister to them and pray for them. To see that their opposition to you does not define them, that there is more to them, that they're an eternal soul in need of salvation. Understand where they're coming from. We were once there. Have compassion and have mercy. Our goal is to love like God. One reason I chose Luke chapter 6 is because the Matthew passage ends with the the same point, but the language scares a lot of people. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The actual Greek word he's using for perfection means completion. And he's talking about our love. And the base word, the root word of that Greek word is to set a goal, go for that goal, And reach the goal. Jesus is saying your goal needs to be to love the lost and hurting as our Father in heaven did. As Jesus models for us. Love like Jesus loved. Remember brothers and sisters, we were once God's enemies. The life we celebrate and we see those wonderful steps of faith arise and walk in newness of life as people come out of the baptismal waters, it should remind us also where we came from as God's enemies. In Romans chapter 5 as well, we were there a little bit earlier, but beginning in verse 8, we read, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more Shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through faith, or rather through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Paul is saying that you who are God's enemies, now Jesus is living His life through you. No longer Are we rejecting, attacking, judging, excluding? Now, we offer God's love and forgiveness free as we received it. As you have received, give. We finish again today with Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Paul continues from the passage we read earlier about God repaying. On the contrary, Paul writes. And then he quotes that cornerstone passage from Proverbs chapter 25. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. People have discussed so much what the burning coals mean. We know it's not a negative thing because we're told to only repay evil with good. It's probably referring to the fact that people who set themselves up as your enemy, if you give back to them good, that they will eventually experience, by the grace of God, shame for what they did. And in the ancient language, it was seen as a, a fiery shame, burning coals, that they would be ashamed of their actions and see themselves in a different light. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The difficult commandment. Easy to say, hard to live. It'll be easy if nobody is setting themselves up in opposition to you, but when push comes to shove, we don't hit back. We understand. As Jesus says, you bless them. You pray for them. You give them whatever you can. You seek to help them. If there's a need, you meet it. One of my favorite authors once said, and I couldn't find the quote or I would have put it on the screen. His name was Dallas Willard. He's gone on to be with heaven just a few years ago. And Dallas Willard once said, says, you cannot offend a truly good person. Why? Because they refuse to take it. You can offer offense, but it's our choice whether to take it. Some of us spend half our time being offended. That's a sin for a Christian. They can give offense, but you don't need to take it. You don't need to take it. From the goodness of our hearts, give back something better. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The smallest candle can banish the darkness. Oh, and you are a lamp. You are a city on a hill. The world needs to see God's love in you and experience it through you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we hear this message, the words of Jesus strike us fresh and new. They were shocking. And they still puzzle. How in the world could we do that? It's so unnatural. Hollywood celebrates revenge, cycle of hatred, human justice. And Lord, we in our pride seek vindication, never want to be seen to be wrong. And yet, Lord Jesus, as He was before His accusers, He stood silent. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, He went to the cross and never fought back. And He did it out of love for us. Lord, sometimes we are called to take the knocks of life from people who are responding against You and to be silent and to not hit back because of love. Lord, in doing that, what an incredible witness it is. Father, I don't know if we're ever more like Jesus 
than when we love our enemies. It is hard. Lord, we need Your help. We need to be filled with Your Spirit. We need that supernatural love which will be practical and active and positive. Help us, Lord, not hide from an evil world, not run from them, not see them as the enemy which we do battle against, but as lost and hurting like the man beset by robbers that all of the religious people passed by and the lowly Samaritan, he stopped and helped him. May we, Lord, be willing to help even those who see themselves as our enemies. Teach us the grace of giving your love. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.